Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. So my message to all servants, all public servants, all those who are the ones that are volunteering, is out with student debt to go. Here's what you want, if, you, if you're worried about how to do it, go to pslf.gov. Right now you can't go out and buy an automatic weapon. You can't go out and buy a cannon. And for those brave right-wing Americans who say, it's all about keeping America, keeping America's independent and safe. If you want to fight against the country, you need an F-15. You need something a little more than a gun. No, I'm not joking. Think about this. Think about the rationale we use that's used to provide this. And who are they shooting at? Shooting at these guys behind me. And for those brave right-wing Americans who say it's all about Keeping America, keeping America's independent and safe. If you want to fight against the country, you need an F-15. You need something a little more than a gun. No, I'm not joking. Think about this. Think about the rationale we use. That's you. Attorney General of the state of Delaware. And what he used to do is go down on the east side, the what called the bucket, highest crime rate in the country. There's a place where I used to, I was the only white guy that worked as a lifeguard down in that area, on the east side. And you know where the, you can always tell where the best basketball in the state is and the best basketball in the city is. It's where everybody shows up. I just want to ask one question. My daughter's getting out of school. I've saved all my money. She doesn't have any school money. Am I going to get my money back? Of course not. So you're going to pay for people who didn't save any money, and those of us that did the right thing get screwed. No, it's not even like that. Of course we did. My buddy had fun, bought a car, went on vacations. I saved my money. He made more than I did. But I worked a double shift, worked extra. My daughter's work, she was 10. So you're laughing. Yeah, that's exactly what you're doing. We did the right thing, and we get screwed. I appreciate that. All right, Heroes Act hinges on student debt cancellation being tied to the pandemic and that being a national emergency. But the administration argued in court that the pandemic is over at the southern mm -hmm. border uh, to lift Title 42. It's so over that the government's going to stop buying vaccines in the fall and mm -hmm. shift to the private sector. So how is this a national emergency? Mm -hmm. 
has COVID a national emergency when it comes to student so debt? It's a, it's a very good question, and I'm glad you asked it. Um, look, we use the HEROES Act uh, because there are going to be some, be some people, when we lift the pause, that's still going to suffer. They're still going to have a little bit of a hard time. What do you mean by semi-fascism, sir? In December, you will... You know what I mean. I think one of my colleagues here this morning mentioned via Viagra. If you start to talk about taking away the rights of men to take it, then what, what do we have? Or if we think about the fact that there are medical procedures that men can have as well, because uh, a, a, an abortion is a medical procedure. There are medical procedures that men can have that will help them uh, not to contribute to the making of a child. Please, please elect the Attorney General of the Senate. Elect that big old boy to be governor. Please, please, elect the Attorney General of the Senate. Elect that big old boy to be governor. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is episode 621. It's the 3rd of September. Apologize for the long delay in shows. I have... Once again, had uh, health issues that seem to be under control. Got some new drugs, getting a new procedure. Not going to talk about it because I'm having a good day. And I'm afraid when I talk about how a good day it is, I have a shit day. So let's just uh, move on. So that's our commander in chief. We got a lot of fascisticy things in there. And you know, like every other conservative on the fucking planet, today I'm going to be covering his speech. And his speech alone, tying in his bailout and all the things that he's doing. Because... That's just wrong. This is so wrong on so many levels that I was shocked by it. What he said in the speech, you know, let alone what I just played, semi-fascist, uh, F-15s, uh, bombing people, those things would be literal with Trump. It would be a literal thing. We'd have hours of CNN gnashing teeth. Um... And it's just wrong. So before I go piece by piece, and I want to do a few sound bites that hit me, I want to play the media reaction and a few things prior just to set the table on how inappropriate and just downright hypocritical everything he said was. So here's the media jerk off over his speech. I am a politic, the media jerk off of the week. 
so hot. President Biden finishing a 24-minute speech at Independence Hall in Philadelphia. He said as he stands there tonight, equality and democracy are under assault, and he left no doubt whom he believes it is under assault by. He said Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. A big portion of the speech, maybe the majority of the speech devoted to that very subject. A very political speech. I think with the exception of the speech that he gave on the anniversary of January 6th at the Capitol, this might be the most political, most forceful speech in that sense that he has given since taking office. A very political speech by President Biden as this basically full frontal attack on what the White House has branded MAGA Republican. And something else that really stuck out to me is that he almost seemed to sort of be reclaiming patriotism. Often you hear Republicans argue that they are the pro-America party, right? The Democrats are not patriotic enough, but what was more pro-USA than this speech? And I think this is exactly what, the, his, what Democratic voters wanted to hear. We honor the will of the people, right? Um, a nod to our democracy, but also a nod to preserving reproductive of rights. He is the president of all America. Um, you mentioned before, too much of what is happening is not normal in this country. Um, we are still at our core a democracy. I mean, all of these things, it, it was a very, very patriotic speech. And I think that that is a lot of what uh, Democratic voters across the country, they want, they want to be patriotic too. They want to be part of the, Americans, the American story. John, if I could begin with you, the White House, the president standing by this message, uh, despite some criticism, even from his own party, uh, that it went too far, too political. What are they saying? Well, look, they are standing by the message that President Biden offered. Of course, it was a political speech. We're in a midterm reelection year. Uh, the issues that he's talking about are inherently political. But I think it's also important to say that the core point he made in that political speech about a threat to democracy is true. Now, that's something that's not easy for us as journalists to say. We're brought up to believe there's two uh, different political parties with different uh, points of view, and we don't take sides in honest disagreements between them. But that's not what we're talking about. These are not honest disagreements. The Republican Party right now is led by a dishonest demagogue. Many, many Republicans are rallying behind his lies about the 2020 election and other things as well. And a significant portion or a uh, sufficient portion uh, of the constituency that they're leading attacked the Capitol on January 6th violently by uh, offering pardons or suggesting pardons for those people who violently attacked the Capitol, uh, which you've been pointing out uh, numerous times this morning, Donald Trump made Joe President Biden delivered one of the most forceful speeches of his presidency. This speech, it really felt like a reset, like a reset that the president, the administration really felt like they needed. A, a, a vintage Biden speech and something he, he wanted to give. These MAGA Republicans who, as he put it, represent an extremism that threatens the foundation of our republic. I really thought this was a fascinating bit of presidential stagecraft. I think he avoided being overly polarizing. It, it was a very, very patriotic speech. What Biden is basically saying is there are two big movements in this country. 
One is mind, I want to defend this democracy. The other is a movement that is not in favor of those things necessarily. I don't, I don't know who the, it's not all Republicans, just MAGA Republicans are for. Like, I'm sure that there are some white supremacists who will vote with white supremacists who don't think they're white supremacists. We're happy that Biden didn't call them a white supremacist, but like, it's not for me. Noting that that rhetoric and deliverance speeches can, uh, I, I understand the kind of inspiration, the inspirational kind of motivation factor there. Um, but just frankly, can the American people expect any sort of policy rollout underlying the speech yesterday um, in the days ahead to actually address the threat to democracy? Look, I think what the president was trying to do at this moment, and we've seen this before, is give Americans a choice. How do we move forward uh, in this time, in this inflection point? Well, what's the administration's action besides telling people to go vote? Well, I, I think we should not underestimate what that what that can do. Isn't the speech in which the president concludes by saying vote, vote, vote inherently political? He, he wasn't referring to voting for any candidates. He was he wasn't saying vote for Dr. Oz. He was voting he was saying vote uh, to reject the, the MAGA forces. I mean isn't that a political speech? We don't think it's a political speech. When I was here yesterday, I actually said um, uh, that he uh, would mention voter participation and getting folks out there to make your voices heard. President Biden laid out last night the problems that the country's facing, divisions, extremism, polarization. What is his message to adversaries who, around the world who are looking at this and trying to leverage the division in the, in the country and also allies who are dismayed at the state of democracy in the U.S.? So it's the same message he has sent to the world since before January 6th about uh, sacrosanct democratic norms and the importance of standing up for democracy as authoritarianism rises. If you do believe that democracy, small d, not political democracy, but democracy is at stake, is this the type of defense that they've been wanting to hear? Absolutely, without a doubt. This is a speech Joe Biden's wanted to give for a very long time. I really thought this was a fascinating bit of presidential stagecraft and rhetoric. It, it was a very, very patriotic speech. I appreciate his hope and his, his sense of patriotism, and I couldn't agree more with what he said. He talked about a kind of coalition of those of goodwill coming together to unite to defend democracy. He almost seemed to sort of be reclaiming patriotism. He literally framed this as a battle between light and darkness. And he called on Americans to come together despite their political differences. Where he says to the heckler, that dude, that man, that person from the other side is entitled to be outraged. Totally. Republicans right now would have that heckler be beaten. Right. I think people would like to have seen a bit more references to accountability. There really wasn't much talk about what we're doing about those insurrectionists. I don't, I don't know who the, it's not all Republicans, just MAGA Republicans are for. Like, I'm sure that there are some white supremacists who will vote with white supremacists who don't think they're white supremacists. We're happy that Biden didn't call them a white supremacist, but like, it's not for me. Do you believe that this is the America that the president is hoping we are, that we're the kind of people who are willing to tell our mothers and fathers or our friends or our spouses who voted for Donald Trump, hey, democracy's in trouble and you need to make it change? Are we ready? Now, of course, you know they loved it because they're on Twitter. I mean, let's just say straight up that that speech he gave wasn't for America. It was staged to be the dark Brandon Rising bullshit that they think is so cool. Because remember, uh, I'm sure you've heard it on other shows, but it's just a reality. It started over in China, and then the left off it, and they started doing all this crazy-ass 
dark Brandon stuff, and he's a badass. He's got all these wins, passing far-left shit that Americans really don't want. And he's awesome. So they staged it. As you can see, with military backdrop that we paid for, blood red. That image is not unity. That image is not what a president of the United States does. That's some fascist shit right there. And and it goes with what I've been saying forever. They're the fascists. And how do we know that? Well, this week we find out that the FBI was going to social media to tell them to suppress the Biden laptop that they had in possession and knew it was bad. And then, I, as I always do before one of these, and I know it's long, here's another memory down. I'm going to cut it down just to five minutes, but here's just 10 minutes of the left denying election integrity. How do you guys handle things when they're a, a big news item that's controversial? Like, there was a lot of attention on Twitter during the election because of the Hunter Biden laptop story. The New York Post. Yeah, we have that too. Yeah, so you guys censored that as well? So we took a different path than Twitter. Um, I mean, basically, the background here is the FBI, I think, basically came to us, some some folks on our team, and was like, hey... um, just so you know, like you should be on high alert. There was the, we we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of of um, uh, that's similar to that. So just be vigilant. So our protocol is different from Twitter's. What Twitter did is they said you can't share this at all. Um, we didn't do that. What, what we do is we have. Um, if something is reported to us as potentially um, misinformation, important misinformation, we, we also have this third-party fact-checking program because we don't want to be deciding what's true and false. And for the, I think it was five or seven days when it was basically being, um, being determined whether it was false, um, the distribution on Facebook was decreased, but people were still allowed to share it. So you could still share it. You could still consume it. So when you um, say the distribution has decreased, in, it, it got shared. It, how does that work? It basically the ranking in newsfeed was a little bit less, so fewer people saw it than would have otherwise. So it definitely by what percentage? I, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's 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 meaningful. But I mean, but basically, a um, a lot of people were still able to share it. We got a lot of complaints that that was the case. Um, you know, obviously this is a hyper-political issues. So depending on what side of the political spectrum, you either think we didn't censor it enough or censored it way too much. But right. but we weren't sort of as black and white about it as, as Twitter. We just kind of thought, hey, look, if, if the FBI, which you know, I still view as a legitimate institution in this country, it's like very professional law enforcement, they come to us and tell us that we need to be on guard about something, then I want to take that seriously. Did they specifically say you need to be on guard about that story? I, I, no, I, I don't remember if it was that specifically, but it was it basically fit the pattern. You can run the best campaign. You can even become the nominee. And you can have the election stolen from you. How can you win with Russian interference, though? That's, That's a real what thing. I'm scared about no, in 2020. But, but rightly. Because right. I think he's an illegitimate president that didn't really win. So how do you, you know, fight against that in 2020? You are absolutely right. He's an illegitimate president in my mind. Would you be my vice presidential candidate? <laughs> <laughs>
Folks, look, I absolutely agree. Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election, and he was put in office because the Russians interfered. Trump knows he's an illegitimate president. The president-elect, although legally elected, is not legitimate. I don't see this president-elect as a legitimate president. You said you believe that Russia's interference altered the outcome of the election. I do. We have a president who, if in fact it is proven, uh, has been assisted by the Russians and may in fact not be a legitimate president. The one thing that Trump is fearful of uh, when it comes to his being president is that finally we will see how illegitimate his victory actually was. I have an objection. I object to the 15 votes from the state of North Carolina. I object because people are horrified. He's an illegitimate president. Do you believe Trump is a legitimate president? What I believe is that there's no question that the outcome of this election was affected by the Russian interference. But there absolutely is a cloud of illegitimacy. So that legitimacy is in question, yes. So that was a very tainted election. And and in that sense, it's illegitimate. Why do you think the president is going to such great lengths to essentially prove that he beat you? Because he knows he didn't. He knows he's an illegitimate president. Stolen emails. Stolen drone. Stolen drone. Stolen election. Welcome to the world of unprecedented Trump. So do you believe President Trump is an illegitimate president? Based on what I just said, which I can't retract. <laughs> <laughs> and the Russian attempt to, ha to have the election, and frankly, the FBI's uh, weighing in on the election, I think make the, uh, make, makes his election illegitimate. There was a widespread understanding that this election was not on the level. We still don't know what really happened, Isaac. I mean, there's just a lot that I think will be revealed, history will discover, but you don't win by three million votes and have all this other shenanigan stuff going on and not come away with an idea like, whoa, something's not right here. The outcome of the election was affected by their interference. And now we need to know, you know to what degree, uh, if any, the Trump campaign was actually in collusion with the uh, with, so with Russia. He knows he's an illegitimate president. So of course he's obsessed with me. And I believe that it's a guilty conscience. We actually won the last presidential election, folks. They stole the last presidential election. And Al Gore won that election. I think he won it anyway. Actually, I think I carried Florida. Bush versus Gore. A court took away a presidency. If all the votes were counted in Florida, that Al Gore would be president today and George Bush would be back in office. I come from Florida, where you and others participated in what I call the United States coup d'etat. There's no doubt in my mind that Al Gore was elected president. I rise to object to the fraudulent 25 Florida electoral votes. I must object because of the overwhelming evidence of official misconduct. Deliberate the chair and an attempt the to chair must remind It is signed by myself on behalf of my diverse constituents and the millions of Americans who have been disenfranchised by Florida's inaccurate vote count. The Supreme the, uh, Court, not the is, people of the United the, States, decided this election. Speaking to a Democratic group in Chicago Tuesday, he made it clear he thinks Al Gore was the winner. By the time it was over, our candidate had won the popular vote. And the only way they could win the election was to stop the voting in Florida. Catherine Harris, Jeb Bush, Jim Baker, and the Supreme Court hadn't tampered with the results. Al Gore would be president. The yeah, Supreme yes, Court elected the president. Yes. Al Gore won the state of Florida in 2000, although not the presidency. But the Supreme Court tampered? That's a large charge. The Supreme Court stopped the counting of the votes, and if they let the count go on, 
Al Gore would have got the necessary votes. The Supreme Court selected George W. Bush as the president. He was not elected. There is overwhelming evidence that George W. Bush did not win this election. What I observed uh, as a voter, as a citizen of Illinois, uh, four years ago were troubling evidence of the fact that not every vote was being counted. I don't think that George W. Bush won the election uh, in 2000 against Al Gore because I, th I think that he probably lost Florida and also that nationwide. If you invite me back on this show in about eight weeks, I think you're going to learn that Al Gore actually did get all the votes there. The court has been thwarting formation of the popular will. The most spectacular example being Bush versus Gore, where the majority by a 5-4 vote enjoined the counting of more than 100,000 ballots in Florida and essentially gave America its first court-appointed president. I think in 2000, everybody thought, well, he did win the election, Al Gore. After the election, when you stole the election, you came back here and said, get over it. No, we're not going to get over it. You know it, I know it, they know it. We won that election. Constantly shifting vote tallies in Ohio and malfunctioning electronic machines, which may not have paper receipts, have led to additional loss of confidence by the public. The right to vote has been stolen from qualified voters. In 2004, the democratic process was thwarted. The 2004 presidential election in Ohio was riddled with unnecessary problems. Some machines malfunctioned, causing votes to be counted more than once, or not at all. Based upon an inordinate number of allegations suggesting gross voting rights violations and misconduct, I join with my colleagues in objecting to counting the state of Ohio's electoral votes. As in 2000, the votes of many who wanted to vote were not, in fact, counted. This last Friday night, I, I arranged to meet Senator Kerry at a fundraiser to give him a copy of my book. He told me he now thinks the election was stolen. The wife of John Kerry said she has lingering doubts about the legitimacy of the election. Her theory goes like this. Two brothers, she calls hard right Republicans, own 80% of voting machines in the U.S. Therefore, it would be easy to hack into the mother machines that control the electronic voting. There were numerous irregularities in Ohio, including large percentages of rejections of provisional balloting, problems with voting machines. As we look at our election system, I think it's fair to say that there are many legitimate questions about its accuracy, about its integrity. There are still legitimate concerns over the integrity of our elections. I agree with tens of billions of Americans who are very worried that when they cast the ballot on an electronic voting machine, that there is no paper trail to record that vote. The numerous irregularities that occurred with the electronic voting machines in Ohio on November the 2nd of last year point to an unresolved national crisis. We cannot declare that the election of November 2nd, 2004 was free and clear and transparent and real. There must be independent testing of the voting machines used in Ohio. I'm not confident that the election in Ohio was fairly decided. We know that there was substantial voter suppression and the machines were not reliable. The members of Congress who have brought this challenge are speaking up for their aggrieved constituents, many of whom may have been disenfranchised in this process. Treating today's electoral vote count in Congress 
as a meaningless ritual would be an insult to our democracy unless we registered our own protest against the obviously flawed voting process that took place in so many of our states. Voters who wish to cast a vote for president or vice president can't approach the polls with certainty that their vote will be counted. One of the most significant problems in Ohio and in many other states was the lack of measures to ensure the integrity of electronic voting machines. In 2004, they caused Democratic voters in Ohio to wait for eight hours before they could cast their ballot. They turned the Department of Civil Rights and the Justice Department into the Voter Suppression Division with voter ID laws, voter purging, voter caging, voter intimidation. There aren't going to be any more election stealings. And despite the final tally and the inauguration and the situation we find ourselves in, I do have one very affirmative statement to make. We won. Without voter suppression, Stacey Abrams would be the governor of Georgia. Andrew Gillum is the governor of Florida. You refuse to concede and say that you lost. Do you stand by that decision today? Absolutely. The election was not fair. The process was not fair. If Stacey Abrams doesn't win in Georgia, they stole it. It's clear. It's clear. If I think that Stacey Abrams' election is being stolen from her. It was not a free and fair election. Brian Kemp stole the gubernatorial election from Georgians and Stacey Abrams. But will I say that this election was not tainted, was not a disinvestment and a disenfranchisement of thousands of voters? I will not say that. Okay, I lied. I played the whole fucking thing. That's my entire life. There's never been an election the left has accepted, ever. So the gnashing of teeth, the clutching of pearls over Trump doing what the left's always done. Always. They've always questioned elections. And when we preface it with, you changed 80 voting laws without legislation. You used a pen and a BlackBerry. You did the Obama. You constitutionally said, go fuck yourself. He is such a threat. We're rigging this. And Time Magazine said they did it. So you changed 80 voting laws under the auspice of COVID because it's a feck of pandemic. Even though by that time, people in most states were open. Whatevs. You let Facebook pump $350 million into fucking elections only in swing states. They actually run a polling station in a swing state. And you get the most votes we've ever gotten for any president ever. It's so fucking fishy that everybody goes, what the fuck? How did he get 81 million votes? But you preface all of the speech with... An entire summer, $2 billion of damage, 36 people murdered, 600 cops injured, federal buildings, courthouses, you name it, they burned it down, precincts. And the media and the left, yes, COVID can't even go there. It is what we do as Americans. This is freedom of speech, you fucking bigot. And one day, with Antifa proven infiltration, media paid for infiltration at NBC. Go see the tapes, boys and girls. I did the shows. I didn't make it up. And now all you talk about is that day, that violence. 
That's all you speak of. Within that, you've arrested 800 people, some of them held without representation. Hi, my name is Bonnie Nichols, and I'm the wife of January 6th defendant Ryan Nichols, who's been suffering in prolonged solitary confinement in the D.C. jail for over 19 months. Here's our story. So Ryan served his country honorably as a United States Marine Corps veteran. Um, he took an oath to defend his constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and that oath does not end whenever you leave active duty service. Ryan was very concerned um, about the election, as any American should be. So Ryan went to the Capitol on January 6th to peacefully protest his First Amendment rights, as millions of other Americans did that day. When Ryan got out of the military, I started to notice um, that he had PTSD. He was, he was diagnosed with PTSD, that he managed with um, search and rescue. He's um, served his nation not only in the military, but also uh, during search and rescue efforts as well. So Ryan has a, a love for rescuing, um, and it started at an early age. Ryan has uh, participated in um, several different hurricane rescues and natural disasters. Um, one of our most memorable rescues in hurricanes was Hurricane Florence. He had rescued um, women, children, elderly, and animals. He was featured on Ellen DeGeneres for his rescue efforts. Um, Ellen picked up this video. Um, that went viral where he was seen rescuing some animals in cages that were um, just hours from drowning in rising waters. When he became incarcerated in the DC jail, um, the torturous conditions of solitary confinement, this, the jail and the mistreatment by the guards, being denied access to see his family, being denied access to due process, his discovery, not having the ability to go outside or shave, cut his fingernails, um, and literally being mentally tortured along with other pretrial detainees. Um, with no end in sight, Ryan was not able to receive bond he hasn't been able to see his children in over 19 months. My kids pray every night before bed that their daddy will come home. Um, they miss him. My youngest doesn't remember what their what his father looks like, and um, they have a hatred for what's going on to their dad, to their hero. And it's really unfortunate to watch my children grow up without their father. And they're only six and eight years old. They haven't been able to see their father in over 575 days. And we have no end in sight. This takes an extreme toll on your overall mental health. But someone with underlying conditions like PTSD, um, it really starts to create immense pain and trauma and mental torture. And that's exactly what's happening to Ryan Nichols at this time. He was placed in the hole where he uh, had his water cut off. Um, and from there, he finally went on suicide watch um, where he was strapped to a bench and tortured and taunted and teased um, for his political ideology. 
um, and what that does to someone with PTSD and what I noticed speaking with him on the phone was he doesn't, he's not thinking in clarity. Um, he's has extreme anxiety and depression. Um, he doesn't speak on the phone. He just sits there in stillness. And I can tell that um, it's, it's really started to take a toll on him mentally. Um, he's not the same person that he was before he left. Um, he, th this is, um, this is really taking a toll on our family and on our children, and it's wrong. It's it's illegal, and it's illegal in multiple states for you to be in solitary confinement for more than 21 days. And these guys are going and staying in solitary confinement for over 19 months at a time. So this is the biggest case in the history of the Department of Justice. And we can't do this alone, America. We need your help. We're taking on the U.S. government. But not only that, this is a spiritual battle. This is like David and Goliath. We are calling on you to stand in your power, to show up and stand for your First Amendment rights and for our God-given rights. Because if not, then one day, we will be sharing this testimony with our grandchildren when America was once free, if we don't do something now. So if you're asking how can you help, this is how you can help. Donate to our Gibson Go. Our attorney, Joseph McBride, has been putting in blood, sweat, and tears into this case, and it is drowning us in, in fees and legal fees and support, uncovering the truth about what happened on January 6th. We need more manpower to take on the U.S. government, and that's what this is about. So if you feel called to help, if you're asking how you can help, please donate to our Gibson Go. And also, we need your prayers. Thank you so much. That's third world shit. But that's all he's done. He's legislated for his people and punished his opponents. Everything he's done has been for the left, not for the whole country. So as we start this out, and I got all these sound bites from his bench pair because he had the best layout. I had been pulling in sound bites and I'm kind of copying his order, but I'm gonna play a couple sound bites at a time. And he expounds in a political speech that you paid for that basically everybody who disagrees with me is evil. So the first two speeches portions are going to be who he's supposedly talking to and how he had to get to the podium. So there he is. I mean, he can barely walk. She's, she's leading him out there. If this doesn't feel like the death of the Republic to you, I don't know what would. He's in front of Independence Hall. He can barely raise his hand to, to wave. My fellow Americans, I speak to you tonight from sacred ground in America. Independence Hall in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This is where America made its declaration of independence to the world more than two centuries ago with an idea unique among nations that in America we're all created equal. Now I know Shapiro talked in the middle of that, but it was exactly what I was going to start with. He has to be escorted with the FLOTUS. Who the fuck is the FLOTUS? We didn't elect her, but every man
major speech, every major thing, she has to carry him to it. He was coughing to begin with. Remember the years of Trump, 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 Trump. Can't walk down a fucking ramp. He eats cheeseburgers. He likes to eat Kentucky Fried Chicken. His health's horrible. He's going to die. He's mentally not fit for the presidency. Do we remember this? And everyone is created equal. Except for gun owners, pro-life, people who believe there's a border... People who believe that you sign loans and then you pay those loans. You don't get a bailout. He continued. Stand here tonight. Equality and democracy are under assault. We do ourselves no favor to pretend otherwise. So tonight, I've come to this place where it all began to speak as plainly as I can to the nation about the threats we face. That sacred flame still burns. Now in our time, as we build an America that is more prosperous, free and just, that is the work of my presidency, a mission I believe in with my whole soul. But first, we must be honest with each other and with ourselves. Much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Now, I want to be very clear, very clear up front. <clears throat> not every Republican, not even the majority of Republicans are MAGA Republicans. Not every Republican embraces their extreme ideology. I know, because I've been able to work with these mainstream Republicans. So basically what he said, and he elaborates it after I get done talking, you'll hear it, is that the good Republicans are ones that agree with me. They vote like me. They want the same policies as me. This has never been done as a president. No, no president has said it in the way he's saying it. There's a difference to saying the other side is wrong. Barack Obama, we're going to go back. They're going to put you in the ditch. Little lines like that. That's normal politics. He's equating that if you do not agree with him, you are evil. You are un-American. You're a terrorist. These words you're about to hear are identical to what President Bush said about terrorists, Obama said about terrorists, Clinton said about terrorists, President, I mean, Reagan talked about the Russians, presidents back in World War II talked about the Germans. He's talking about fellow Americans. Hard things, but I'm an American president, not a president of red America, blue America, but of all America. And I believe it's my duty my duty to level with you, to tell the truth, no matter how difficult, no matter how painful. And here, in my view, is what is true. MAGA Republicans do not respect the Constitution. They do not believe in the rule of law. They do not recognize the will of the people. They refuse to accept the results of a free election. And they're working right now 
as I speak in state after state to give power to decide elections in America to partisans and cronies. Forces are determined to take this country backwards, backwards to an America where there is no right to choose, no right to privacy, no right to contraception, no right to marry who you love. Who says that? And the worst part is, once again, my lifetime, 2000, 2004, 2016. Midterm election, Abrams. They've never said an election was true and fair. And you say, I'm going to give it back to cronies. I'm going to hand it to freaking the running of elections to their friends. These are the same people that were trying to float the John Lewis election bill, which would federalize it. They'd tell you how to vote, when to vote. Only they would be able to purview. The board on election would just be Democrats. That's why it never passed. They wanted to rewrite elections to mirror what they did illegally for 2020. By fiat, they signed fucking legislation changing voting laws it didn't go through their house it didn't go through their senate it went through a pen and paper at government level these idiots say the constitution they're the people that ignored everything under trump they blocked everything that the executive branch could do and then they powered up their executive branch to which he just signed a bill which isn't a bill, just a decree that we're going to hand $500, trillion, $500 billion to people so they'll vote for him in the midterm. That's what he did. Everybody knows it's what he did, but he can't do that. Sanctuary cities. Do we remember that? Same people. And they don't have the right to do it. They can't do these things. They ignore the Constitution. And remember, this is all in a backdrop with Marines, blood red, under the auspice of a government speech, not a political speech, not a campaign speech. This was supposed to be a real thing, where he's once again, like he did in his inauguration, white supremacist mega, which turned into QAnon, which went back to white supremacists, then went to mega, then to a Christian nationalist, then to mega. And if you don't want the right to choose, which means you don't want full-term abortion, you're evil. You don't want to be able to own a gun, you're evil. You want to have a border, you're eagle, evil. Equity, equality, things they don't even fucking define means you, the white voter who's in the middle class in a red states, you're not getting shit. All the money's going to go to our friends. They had the gall this week from the podium to say that Donald Trump shut the schools down. Donald Trump is the reason why the border's fucked up. Not their shitty ass policy. He continues. Authoritarian leaders and they fan the flames of political violence that are a threat to our personal rights, to the pursuit of justice, to the rule of law, to the very soul of this country. 
Can you pause it for one? They look at the mob that stormed the United States Capitol on January 6th, brutally attacking law enforcement, not as insurrectionists who placed a dagger at the throat of our democracy, but they look at them as patriots. And they see their MAGA failure to stop a peaceful transfer of power after the 2020 election as preparation for the 2022 and 2024 elections. They tried everything last time to nullify the votes of 81 million people. This time, they're determined to succeed in thwarting the will of the people. That's why respected conservatives like Federal Circuit Court Judge Michael Ludwig has called Trump and the extreme MAGA Republicans, quote, a clear and present danger to our democracy. But while the threat to American democracy is real, I want to say as clearly as we can, we are not powerless in the face of these threats. We are not bystanders in this ongoing attack on democracy. In our hands, yours and mine, to stop the assault on American democracy. I believe America is at an inflection point. One of those moments that determine the shape of everything that's to come after. And now America must choose to move forward or to move backwards, to build a future or obsess about the past, to be a nation of hope and unity and optimism or a nation of fear, division, and of darkness. MAGA Republicans have made their choice. They embrace anger. They thrive on chaos. They live not in the light of truth, but in the shadow of lies. But together, my God, together we can choose a different path. We can choose a better path. Really think about what he's saying there. He's saying, and it's what they said with Trump. They said it at the midterms. They said it before Trump was elected. They said it after he's elected. You vote for them, we lose democracy. We lose democracy. We lose the right to choose. We lose the right to marry who we want. We lose the right to have contraception. All lies. And they're saying the other side's lying. They're lying. We're not lying. But everything you said has been a lie. Russia collusion, lie. Koi fish, lie. Fine people, lie. Rapers and murderers and rapists, lie. Normandy, lie. It's all been a lie. It's all you've been ever doing. You've always been making it a binary choice. Either vote for us and our policies or you're evil and you're a terrorist and you need to go the fuck away. That's his whole platform that's been the Democrats' platform since forever. I mean, just for fucking ever. That's all we've ever heard. But he's not the president for everybody. He's not the president for the entire company country. Because all he ever does is say the other side is fucking evil. The other side isn't good. I mean, here, here's just a few um, the border is fascist. Uh, it's cancel the the loan more fascist. Hitler two more loans. Uh, polls are running fake fucking polls to make it look like he's up 
when he's back down to 38. And they've done this before every Democrat's midterm. They run a poll and say it's all bullshit. And then they run stories that the the left's not going to lose. They're going to hold everything. But these sound bites, which I know is a lot, but folks, when you couple the speech with this kind of dishonest stuff, and I'm going to end where one person finally calls the media on their bullshit, and then everybody on the other side's a fascist, we impeached a president over, I'll see you at the Capitol as we peacefully protest, and then fe- a small sect of fucking mega and Antifa, which is on camera changing into mega shit, and a, a fucking film crew is going in saying we did it. We impeached him for violent rhetoric, but how is this not violent rhetoric? Well, it's funny you bring up the South Carolina incident. I want to actually play that lawmaker uh, he talked about this, this, this person you're talking about. Her water broke uh, at week 15, mm-hmm. and basically uh, it was against South Carolina law for them to do anything about it. I was just going to say, on, on the, these um, terrible cases with, with miscarriages, this is another aspect where Republicans, they really need to know the case. They really need to know what these laws say. And every one of these laws has a broad health exception, not just life of the mother, but also physical impairment, including losing a uterus is obviously a physical impairment. And this, this woman in South Carolina did get her miscarriage care. But Republicans need to be out there aggressively saying that, making the case, and attorney generals need to be making it clear to the attorneys at hospitals and medical facilities what the law actually says, because there's a lot of bad advice being given. I think it's also important to point out, though, with miscarriages, which are, <clears throat> excuse me, much more common than we talk about in this country, these are things we have long known, right? That miscarriages can easily result in sepsis, that there is a risk to having a child right, in America, in particular for black women who are three times more likely to die because of pregnancy-related issues. Pro-life do not do- oppose miscarriage treatment. Catholic hospitals that refuse on high moral principle to perform abortions will care for miscarriage. That is true. You, you talk about globalization versus nationalism as well. Um, and you say that today there are more borders in the world than ever before in human history. So do you think that, that this idea of nationalism and ultra-nationalism that is spreading across uh, much of the West for certain uh, and some of the East, do you think that that is one of the reasons why we're seeing these borders uh, go up in such a significant way? It absolutely is. I mean, and you can see that everywhere. You can see it very prominently in the United States with, you know, with the, the sort of Trump administration. If you pour national identity into a line, which is what we have done, you know, as I said, that creation of this modern system of bordering led to the creation of nation states, so effectively led to nationalism. And there are so many instances where nationalism, identity is exerted by the drawing of these lines and the establishment of these lines. And there's also so much nostalgia now, you know, so much looking backwards, particularly for Western countries who feel that their 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 grasp on power may be slipping, who feel like there are incursions coming from migrants. You know, Trump described the the walking caravan that approached the US-Mexico border in 2018 as an invasion of migrants. So there's this sense of of, of pulling up the drawbridge and saying, oh, you know, we're, we're done now. Mm. This is what our nation is. This is what the space we occupy is. And the rise of nationalism, or the, the, the new rise of nationalism, if you like, and to some extent that veering towards fascism is often connected to these lines because they become the spaces where you exert who you are 
Uh, and that's what And then on the other side, Joe Biden saying, here we are, I'm president, but the democracy is in peril. Like 1860, like 1940, we're in a situation where few things go the wrong way. We could lose our system, our rule of law our free and fair elections. And just as, as Lincoln gave the House divided speech, just as Roosevelt gave a speech on the State of the Union about the four freedoms, as you well know, 1941, you know, here is the time when President Biden has chosen. I'm not suggesting that this year is the equivalent except for in one respect. And that is if you know, a historian from 50 years from now were to go back and visit America in the 20, in 2022, the overwhelming question is, are we going to have a democracy in a year or two? There has been a lot of debate over who benefits, who doesn't. Is this a good decision? Is it a bad decision? It will, in the end, though, help a lot of people. Absolutely. I mean, millions of people. Um, look, in the outlines of this policy, you can see the Biden administration trying to find that Goldilocks sweet spot, right? You know, they're trying to make sure it's capped at 125,000, that it's more generous for people who've had Pell grants, that it's coinciding with the final renewal of this extension, which has had folks not paying uh, their, their, their school debt through the pandemic. Um, but still, you see folks on the far left grousing. It's not high enough. You know, they wanted a $50,000 loan deferment. And then uh, and then folks on the far right saying it's, you know, school based socialism and terribly unfair. I think the fundamental point is that a lot of folks who've been struggling with school debt, you know, in the, in the bottom half of the economic scale are going to find themselves with a lot more breathing room than they had previously. And, and I don't see how that's bad politics at the end of the day, as well as good economic policy, if you're trying to grow the economy out from the from the middle and, and, and bottom as Biden campaigned on. So it's a promise kept from the political standpoint. Well, but do do President Biden's critics have a point when they say, you know, there are what Mitch McConnell was saying yesterday, there are a lot of people who didn't go to college because they, you know, lived within their means and adjusted for this. And so they did not go to college for this choice. And they were basically saying it's unfair because of that. And the White House is pushed back on Republican criticism. Well, you know, no one's complaining about tax breaks, for example. Yeah. If Republicans aren't complaining about and, how unfair and, that is. And I think that is a fair point. And among the other things that were announced yesterday is, you know, targeting schools that had been really predatory towards college students with exact, you know, the, yeah. really forcing people into debt and also really trying to emphasize the kind of loan forgiveness for people in public service professions. Um, look, the, the right's going to hit this because they, they probably see it as potentially popular, but also a dangerous precedent. Um, I think for the people being affected by it, especially given that those people, folks are going to have to start paying their student loans again at the end of the year, um, this will give folks some breathing room in, in a meaningful way if they took that risk to go to college. Is it going to be without controversy? No. People, are going, people particularly who just paid off their loans might be frustrated. I yeah. get that. But for folks who are struggling with Why did you structure this policy in a way that would provide up to $40,000 in debt for a married couple making up to $249,000? I mean, why include folks who have gone to post-grad, you know, law school or, or business school? Is that really bottom-up, middle-out? On student loans, one of my colleagues asked if these measures uh, are likely to raise prices because it makes it easier for some students who are maybe more willing to take on debt if they know they're only going to have to pay a minimum amount or if it's going to be forgiven. Um, and Ambassador Rice said that's something the Department of Education is going to be on the lookout for. So I'm wondering if that's a tacit acknowledgement that, yes, these policies could cause tuition rates to rise in the near future even further than they are now. It's actually making it easier for people to take on 
more debt. And there's nothing in this program that stops schools for, I mean, just anecdotally, my school raised tuition from the time I was a freshman to the time I was a senior. My scholarship didn't go with it. So that meant I had to take out private loans to cover it. How can the country afford such a massive handout? Yeah, well, you know, uh, Ambassador Rice said that she's happy to have that discussion. And you might spend 300 to 900 billion dollars extra, so you can do that and not uh, but here's the, the thing, deficit. here's the thing, what we are trying to do here, we are doing this responsibly. You're what, talking here's, a lot about how much it might cost, it might not cost. Who is paying for this? What we are saying is the, the work that this administration has done, the work that the Democrats in Congress has done, is actually there. But when you forgive debt, you're not just disappearing debt, so but, who is paying for but, this? Who needs to bring the room? I just, I just laid out, I just laid out for you. No, Peter, I just laid out for you how we're seeing this process and why this matters. Again, I just laid out. Back in July, John, after talking to voters in all these congressional districts, we were seeing Republicans with a lead to take control of the House. You need 218, they were at 230. But in our latest estimate, again, talking to voters in all these districts, Republicans go down to 226. So a little bit of momentum there for the Democrats back the other way. And where is that coming from? And I'll double load this question, which is last week we had primary races and, and a special election, which abortion favorite was a very important issue. Is that coming up in what you're seeing? Yeah. And in those races, the Democrats overperformed their numbers from the past. And look at this in the poll. Likely voters are more likely to say they're going to the polls to support abortion rights than to oppose them. And that is accruing to the Democrats. That's number one. And then the other big part of this, John, I'll show you, is that Democrats are making some gains among key groups, including among women voters, including among women voters. They have risen in support with including white women with college degrees up from 45 to 54. So it's not only, it's a motivating issue for them. It's not just they have an opinion about abortion. It's actually changing the way they believe about this election. Democrats now say it's the most important thing. This election is taking place in the context of a very jittery, wobbly economy. What do your numbers show about what people think about the economy and or the president's handling of it? Getting a little better on the economy. We've got some movement. Now it's still bad. Let's emphasize that. And by the way, Republicans are winning people who say that the economy is bad and important. That's important as well. Um, but a little bit of improvement. So an uptick in Biden approval. And that President Biden goes on the attack before the midterms, accusing Trump supporters of embracing political violence. President Biden is going on the offensive as the crucial midterm elections approach. During a Democratic rally in Maryland last night, he put abortion rights front and center, and he criticized Trump supporters, calling, quote, MAGA Republicans a threat to our very democracy, close quote. This was a speech designed to fire up the Democratic base in advance of the November midterm elections. And President Biden went aggressively after the Trump movement. Testing out some campaign themes, President Biden in Maryland Thursday night argued women's reproductive rights are at stake this November. In ramped up Political rhetoric. The president took aim at Trump followers. The White House Twitter account went on the offensive, calling out Republicans like Marjorie Taylor Greene by name for criticizing student loan forgiveness, even after their own pandemic era business loans, known as PPP, 
were forgiven by the government. The president was not shy about touting a recent string of legislative accomplishments and political wins, hoping that this does provide fresh momentum for Democrats heading into these very critical midterm elections. Believe it or not, they are less than 75 days away. So the president held this campaign rally in Maryland and he used some of his strongest language yet against Republicans, calling some of their philosophy semi-fascism. And it all comes as President Biden is back on the campaign trail, intensifying his rhetoric with the midterm elections looming large. The president also starkly attacking what he called MAGA philosophy, even saying off-camera, quote, it's like semi-fascism. Now, in a statement overnight, a spokesperson for the Republican National Committee called President Biden's language. His, his message to the nation was, we're all in this together, I'm going to unify the country, and now he's out saying two things. One, lots of y'all are fascists, but and... Uh, by the way, if, if you vote Republican, there's a decent chance that our democracy is no longer going to exist. But These can, are not unifying messages by any stretch. But he can't turn stretch. a blind eye to right. that. I think can, you and I both agree he's doing it from a place of Can the unifying message be that some of what he's saying is true? Because there are a lot of people, i got to tell you, Scott, a lot of folks would go, where's the lie? I don't see it. No lies detected. Uh, I, I think there are 70, 80 million Americans who would say, just because I choose to vote Republican doesn't make me a fascist, and it doesn't make but me he did one not hard call, Scott, I got to be honest with you. He did not call all Republicans fascists. And 80 million Americans, he, he said he, MAGA Republicans, extreme. and he made it into distinction. But Republicans aren't the ones who had, who, who had Joe Biden out every day saying, I'm going to unify the country. We're all in this together. We're all we're not enemies. But so you, but you, but the country is also telling the truth, Scott. He's That's telling right. the truth about what is happening in the country. In the most part, I'm not saying that if everybody's you go, a fascist. If you go to the Listen, average... hang on, hang on, Liam. I'm not even saying, I don't think it's, it was um, the best thing for him to use that language. Mm. But you have to call a thing a thing. You have to call it what it is. You can't, you know, that, that is unifying if, if by, you, by bringing people around to the reality of what is. If you I am so, I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Who's violent? Who's the violent rhetoric coming from? Where is it coming from? Anybody? We're talking about a president that doesn't even have a platform anymore of, of fucking Trump. You don't hear the guy. He's been silenced everywhere, unlike anything else. They're using the fucking IRS against people. They're using the FBI against people. They're using the DOJ against people. We are locking people up that are conservative for breaking laws. We're letting liberals get the fuck free. But somehow, some way, that's the soul of the nation. Everybody who disagrees with me is a liar. Here's the rest of his bullshit. That's why tonight... I'm asking our nation to come together, unite behind the single purpose of defending our democracy regardless of your ideology. We're all called by duty and conscience to confront extremists who put their own pursuit of power above all else. Democrats, independents, mainstream Republicans, we must be stronger, more determined, and more committed to saving American democracy than MAGA Republicans are to destroying American democracy. We, the people, will not let anyone or anything tear us apart. You can't love your country only when you win. It's fundamental. American democracy only works only if we choose to respect the rule of law and the institutions that were set up in this chamber behind me. MAGA Republicans look at America and see carnage and darkness and despair. 
They spread fear and lies. Lies told for profit and power. But I see a different America. An America with an unlimited future. An America that's about to take off. Just look around. I believe we could lift America from the depths of COVID so we passed the largest economic recovery package since Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I believe we could build a better America. So we passed the biggest infrastructure investment since President Dwight D. Eisenhower. And I believe we create, we could create a clean energy future and save the planet. So we passed the most important climate initiative ever, ever, ever. It only works if you do the rule of law. Yeah, once again, 500 fucking billion dollars. You can't do that, but you did it. Open borders. And basically the gist is do everything I fucking say. Agree with everything I believe. Or we're going to put you back in chains. Or we're going to go in a ditch. No, not even that. You're evil. You're a terrorist. You are not American. That's what he's saying there. Agree with me. And then always his fucking clothes. This of culture wars. Not on the politics of grievance, but on a future we can build together. The MAGA Republicans no. believe that for mm. them to succeed, everyone else has to fail. They believe America, not like I believe about America. I believe America is big enough for all of us to succeed. And that is the nation we're building, the nation where no one is left behind. I believe we're in a battle for the soul of this nation. I still believe that to be true. I believe the soul is the breath, the life, and the essence of who we are. The soul is what makes us us. The soul of America is defined by the sacred proposition that all are created equal in the image of God, that all are entitled to be treated with decency, dignity, and respect, that all deserve justice and a shot at lives of prosperity and consequence. And that democracy, democracy must be defended for democracy makes all these things possible. Vote, vote, vote. And if we do our duty, if we do our duty in 2022 and beyond, then ages still to come will say, we, all of us here, we kept the faith. We preserved democracy. We heeded our worst. We, we heeded not mm-hmm. our worst instincts, but our better angels. It's all horseshit. Our better angels. Basically, don't be those guys, because those guys are bad, and we're good, and everything I've ever done is good. Every fucking proposition I've ever put out is good. There's so much bullshit, and that fucking finish. And then he once again brings up the fucking troops. He brings up you know, pray for those that are defending us, but they're also fucking terrorists. They're white supremacists. That's what you said. They're evil too. Our soldiers are evil. Millie believes that. He's at all time low. His speech to NPR walks a fine line in its attack on mega Republicans. It is the worst speech I have ever seen. It is the most 
fascist speech I've ever heard a president do. That is a speech when you're talking about an enemy. And what he outlined right there is that you are that enemy. You're the enemy. If you don't agree with him, if you not don't believe what he believes, you're the enemy of the state. And no president's ever done that. Nobody's ever sat with a red backdrop with military in attendance to a political fucking speech. Nobody's ever done that. So, who's the actual fascist? Who? Once again, Trump did a... They're trying... Some people are trying to like it to Trump's speech on 4th of July in front of Mount Rushmore. But even if you go back and hit the transcript on that, it wasn't this. It wasn't everybody who doesn't agree with me is evil. Everybody has a different uh, way of uh, spending our money and our propositions and what we need to be doing as a nation. A different agenda, so to speak, are evil. That's not what his speech was. But these guys just rolled out. If you don't believe in full-term abortion, if you don't believe in open borders, if you don't believe that the executive branch can do uh, executive orders that spend $500 billion, if you don't believe that we need to have fucking little children get mastectomies and it isn't your business what happens to your kid, if you don't believe in CRT, if you don't believe that the government needs to fucking tell you how to shit, you're an enemy of the state. Nobody's ever done this. Ever. No president has ever done what he just did. And the media allowed it. That was not a directive speech, a policy speech. That was a pure fucking political speech. Because he ended it on vote, vote, vote. And if you vote for those people... You're fucking evil. It's unfucking believable. So, I'm going to play our trans abuse, and then we're going to finish the show on a segment about Ben Shapiro. Hey, Blue, look at all these families. Hi, families. It's time for a pride parade. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. This family has two mommies. They love each other so proudly. And they all go marching in the big parade. And it shows uh, a particular epidemic of traffic deaths, pedestrian fatalities in this country. And it's unique to the United States. Um, 6,500 people um, died in 2020 walking um, and being struck and killed. Those numbers are a two-third increase over the last decade. Uh, and as a matter of fact, 2021 data is showing things are getting worse. But getting to your point, unfortunately, we see disproportionate deaths in black, 
Latinx, Latino, um, and low-income communities. As a matter of fact, blacks were two times as likely as non-white Hispanics to die um, while walking in their neighborhoods. Um, so it's an epidemic. It's having disproportional effects on black and brown communities, but it is a solvable one, and we, should, we can talk about those solutions. Yeah, I mean, look, when we look at that graphic, I mean, when you look at just the, the disproportionate number of African-Americans that, that die, I mean, 8.21 per 100,000 compared to whites at 6.33. I mean, uh, how can this be helped? How can we how can we help fight this? Yeah, it's it's tough. And some of it goes back to history. And I know uh, as uh, a person from Fort Lauderdale, as I understand, maybe living in Miami now, um, part of this has to do the history of where we put highways in our country. Um, the interstate highway system essentially was built out through black and brown neighborhoods around the country in the 50s and 60s. And these kind of race-based, if not racist decisions often put high-speed, wide roads through black and brown communities. And so part of what we can do, there's probably two things that we need to do that are counterintuitive but really are the answer and it's shown in our report. The first is to focus on street design. Right now, our streets are designed for speed, the speed of the car traveling, but not the safety of anybody not in the car. Hmm. Um, whether you're a pedestrian, whether you're a biker, or you're just mama bear rolling a stroll. And in black and brown communities, which you see, which also has racist um, um, history to it, is a lack of pedestrian infrastructure. So you don't see sidewalks, crosswalks. Um, I hate to date myself, but it's almost like that old Atari game Fogger where you see folks running across <laughs> fast streets. Um, so there's a challenge in particularly in black and brown communities in urban areas and in rural areas because of the street design and the culture of not really caring that there's been this disproportionate. The legislation is designed to provide safety for parents and families from other states who face losing custody or being criminally prosecuted if they support their children's access to gender-affirming care and procedures. With us right now is Kathy Molig, Executive Director of Trans Family Support Services, also a co-sponsor of the bill. Kathy, thanks for being with us. You are a mother. Your son is transgender. Talk to me about how important this bill is to you and why you think it's needed. Well, it's important because over a decade ago when my son started his transition, I couldn't find medical providers locally that were willing to treat him. And it was devastating to us to not have the medical community behind us. You know, as, as we do this work across the country with Trans Family Support Services, we've already seen families coming to California from other states to get this access to care. So it's vitally important. This care is not only medically necessary for our adolescents, but it is suicide prevention. There are more than 150 anti-trans bills that have been introduced um, since 2020, according to an NBC News analysis. What your reaction um, to this, uh, what appears to be an increase, and also anything you want folks in those states with restrictive laws to know? 
Yeah, the the attacks that are happening to our children and our young adults is is quite wide. And this is affecting not just the kids that are in the states that have all of these bills introduced, but to the trans youth population across our nation. Even for kids that are in states like California that isn't passing these bills, these attacks on the very rights of our individuals for political gain have to stop. Kids' lives are at stake here, their livelihood. We want our youth to thrive. All of our kids just went through this pandemic. There's all kinds of things that are happening and, and you know, school is challenging, all these other pieces. We don't need lawmakers coming up with things that are just. Thank you for calling National Hospital. Your call may be recorded for quality assurance. I was calling uh, for information about gender-affirming hysterectomies. Okay, so gender-affirming hysterectomy. I've been in touch with quite a few hospitals, um, and a lot of them, well, they said they won't do it for, for my 16-year-old, um, and then I was told that this hospital might, and I also saw it on your website. Um, so if you guys do uh, do it for a 16-year-old, I would be happy for you know to come for a consultation or whatever it takes. Let me get you over to the operator and I hate to transfer you. I just I just need to want to know if, if you guys do service that age, you know, before obviously before coming you know, coming all the way for an in person consult and going through all the paperwork well, and everything. Yeah, it depends. And each department's different. Some some departments cut off for eighteen. How old how old is your patient? Sixteen. Okay, all right, so they're in the clear. I'll email um, Dr. Call and see what we can do. Right. In the meantime, if you still want me to transfer you, I can still transfer you to surgery. Hi, I was calling um, because I'm looking for information about the gender-affirming hysterectomies that you guys offer. Am I in the right place? Okay. Yes. Um... This is the clinic. Did you want to make an appointment? So I was just wondering. I've I've contacted quite a few hospitals already. Um, it seems like it's difficult to find one that does the operation um, for my 16-year-old, and I was told that you guys do do that. Um, so if you do it for 16-year-olds, then yes, I'd love to schedule um, an appointment, a consultation, whatever you need. If, if you don't mind me asking, um, what is your child gender changing to so I can point you to the right direction? Yeah, well, he transitioned to a male. You know, he already had the top surgery, um, and now we're looking for the hysterectomy. Okay, beautiful. So I'm going to transfer you to the GYN nurse line. One of the nurses will give you a call to give you more information and to let you know the steps and the protocol that they do for that okay okay so so they do so they would do it um for at the, for that age yes okay great is it a common procedure that you guys do for for that age yes um we have um all different type of age groups that comes in for that for the gender, for the hysterectomy? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Just out of curiosity, do you know, like, what's the youngest age you would do it on? I'm not sure, but I have seen younger kids. And I'm not, you know, due to hip, I'm not allowed to say that, but I have <laughs> seen younger kids. 
younger than your child's age. Get the gender affirming hysterectomy surgery? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, okay, I really appreciate your help. Am I the only one that like looks at American flags and I'm just like, ugh. Ugh. Like someone just came on the beach with American flag chair. And they're giving me a very like Trumpy vibe. I don't think American flag is like very Trumpy now and I'm just like I can't. I, I just cannot with any of it. <laughs> Look, at this point, we don't need to talk about whether or not an unwanted parasite in the womb of a female is considered a baby or not. It's irrelevant. Let's talk about Darwinism, you know? Survival of the fittest. I'm not gonna be the one to disprove this theory, right? So if I get knocked up and like, I don't want it, boom, Darwinism, you're gone. I'm the strongest, survival. <laughs> Take that, beach. It's just called tough love. While gendered social structures are ancient, a binary framework of biological sex didn't actually exist in Western culture until the late 18th century. Before, science recognized only one sex, the male, and considered the female body an inferior version of it. The shift that historians call the two-sex model served mainly to reinforce gender and racial divisions by tying social status to the body. That last one is by Scientific America which is why all this stuff is super, super scary. The woke has infiltrated everything. So now they're on board with this crazy shit. Then NPR is running stories that they're getting harassed in children's hospitals and they're running fucking fake stories that they don't do it, but yet you heard they do. Because I just played the fucking soundbite. And the flag and titties falling the fuck out. And race and... These fucking people have infiltrated everything. And it's super, super scary because you're talking about children. We're talking about children. It's bad enough the FBI, DOJ, and the military is infested. I mean, here's a story. Teacher suspended for balking at choosing pronouns. She got her money back. But they fired her over it. Fired her. And then, worse, tying in with Biden's speech and violent rhetoric. And all we hear, it's the left. The left saying it's the right. It's the right. It's the right. He goes, Ben Shapiro goes to a podcast conference. He has the biggest podcast. It's huge. It's like Corolla. And it's like freaking, um, what's his name? Joe Rogan. And they end up apologizing to their booth people because a couple probably complained because they're woke and it turned into a whole thing which they've deleted everything so here's a video yesterday afternoon ben shapiro briefly visited the pm22 expo though he was not registered or expected 
we take full responsibility for the harm done by his presence. So do I get to get a picture? We agreed to sell the Daily Wire a first-time booth based on the company's large presence in podcasting. The weight of that decision is now painfully clear. During event planning, the dangerous nature of the company's messaging was overlooked. Those of you who called this unacceptable are right. Podcast movement has made mistakes. The pain caused by this one will always stick with us. Yeah, thanks for everything you do. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm excited about it. That's great. Thank you so much for coming. This is Now you couple this with what Biden's saying once again. And now just the very presence of a person is violence. That's the world they're making. So when conservatives or people get upset about this stuff, as he said in his speech, the culture wars. You are the culture wars. You're the ones that appoint people because of their genitalia, skin color, or who they fuck. That's your whole thing. There are 10 brand new Hunter Biden scandals. Nobody's covering it. We're still acting like it's an election. And once again, you have the FBI, you have the DOJ. We are about to watch Trump get charged with what Hillary Clinton did, and she was let go. That's what's going to happen. Because when you say it over and over in your head, and you keep saying it over and over in your head, that he is a threat to democracy, he can't be in power, their base believes that. Once again, it's the dualities of how we all work. We think they're wrong. Sometimes we think they're crazy, and we think they're kind of perverted, especially with the kids stuff. They think you're evil if you own a gun. They think you're evil if you don't believe in full-term abortion. They think you're evil if you're not for everything he's done. You're evil. That's the difference. It's a gigantic difference. It used to be subtle. But now it is what it is. That's what they truly believe. And he just did a fucking speech with the military saying you are that this midterm if you don't vote for them you're voting for super mega terrorists that's their whole gist and we've never had a president do that we've never done this I mean Obama talked about the bitter clingers And you didn't build that. Hillary said we were deplorables, the basket of deplorables. We've now just been called terrorists by the President of the United States. Domestic terrorism. And that's just unacceptable. It's unacceptable 
It is unpresidential. It is un-American. 100%. You can't even try to explain it away. It is wrong. What he did was 100% wrong. That he did it, once again, with military present. That he did it in such a way to to expound upon the fact that he believes his opposition is evil and un-American. And then the next day to play it off like, that's not what I said. And from the podium, the press sector, that's not what he said. We're just talking the extreme mega Republicans. It's just like equity. And we don't define it, but we loosely lump everybody in it. We're not really saying anything. We're playing wordsmith here. And that's the final point. They're so fascist, they change words. We have changed so many words just to fit their political agenda. And when the institutions are on board with it, we're losing our republic. I believe deep down inside they want violence. They want to be able to point to another violence because of polling and the internal show them that January 6th isn't shit. People don't give a fuck. As I said before, uh, YouGov said it was just a uh, one protest that got out of line. That's liberals. They need something. They need a boogeyman. Because if they run on the fact that they have un- runaway inflation, high gas prices, and everything else, they can't win. So the media's on board coming up with these stupid freaking polls saying they can't lose and it's not going to be a bloodbath. They're doing polls to show that his approval's not in the 30s when it's in the 30s. And they don't hold him accountable. If you need something to try to correlate why I'm so livid over this, and you're a liberal out there listening to this Bush League podcast, I want you to do that whole speech with a bailout for Christians or gun owners only by Trump. The very media that went out and said it was okie dokie, the very fucking social media that said it's okie dokie, everybody's just going along with it would be losing their fucking shit right now. If Trump stood up there and said the things he said, you lost your shit because he said that media is the enemy of the people. At the time, I didn't agree with it. Now I 100% agree with it. You lost your shit because he called Pocahontas and Sleepy Chuck Todd. Your president just said 50% of the country are terrorists. That's what he just did. They kept rolling it out. White supremacist, mega, it was QAnon, white supremacist, mega, super mega, ultra mega, Christian nationalists, and now we're back to super mega. Coming from Dark Brand, Doc Brandon or whatever the fuck. This is what happens when speechwriters and our media and all these politicians live on Twitter and not in the real world. They don't realize what that comes across at. And it's not good. I've done a YouGov poll and it's liberal leaning. They say I'm more liberals. It didn't come out good. People did not buy that shit. Because he used the military, he used federal fucking money for a campaign speech. 
That's all that was. It's not the soul of the nation. Who the fuck is buying to say that he's the soul of the nation? He's a fucking career corrupt politician. The motherfucker's been on both sides of every fucking issue. He's All he's ever done is been a politician. That shit pissed me off. And if this November people just don't vote the opposite side to send a message that this isn't the country we are, we're lost. If Democrats hold power, we are lost. Because they are no longer thinking about the normal American. They are going Twitter. They live in Twitter. How do you fuck you think you got that bailout? That's all Twitter. Nina Turner was tweeting every day. 40% of African Americans aren't going to vote in November if you don't give us money. That shit's great on Twitter. In the real world, it's un-American, unpresidential, and he needs his ass kicked. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please share this family and friends. Go to foppodcast.com. You find all our episodes. I'm sorry about being so long. I've now got some new medicine. I should be able to roll. You see a little more energy, a little less nausea. We'll get another one out on Wednesday. Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. Oh, let's do a Tuesday. Sixth. Sixth. September, year of our Lord, 2022. Until then, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeahs, and thanks for listening. Y'all take care.